0: Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one, we're continuing, or we're gonna begin this morning, actually a study on the birth of Christ. It's gonna take two weeks. We're gonna do one this Sunday morning, one next Sunday morning. We're stopping, of course, 2 Samuel for this. It's that special time of the year in which we remember the birth of our Savior Jesus. For for many of you, you have great memories of family and friends and activities. This is the time we remember the birth of our Savior. And this morning, we're gonna do really what I call a two-part study around the birth of Christ. We're gonna see four people, Two, uh, four people before the birth of Christ and four people after. So we'll look at it this way, uh, four before and after the birth, four people before Jesus was born, four people after. And we'll see how this fits together. Now, the stories that we study, uh, you, all of us know them. They're very familiar. We've uh, heard them most of our lives, and we hear them every year. And yet there's so much there. And as we look at the passages, uh, we don't want to take the stories for granted. Sometimes there's things there that, that we do know, and then there's some things there that maybe we didn't know or didn't remember. And we'll see it as we go through this morning. Well, it is almost Christmas. It'll be this, this coming uh, Saturday, and then we'll have Christmas Eve service uh, Friday night, and, and we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We sing the great Christmas songs, the ones we just heard. They were fantastic. I know you have a lot of memories uh, about that. I have, I have some memories. My, my dad uh, died when I was 25, but I can still remember growing up that, well, we, we opened presents on Christmas Eve, and so on Christmas Eve, after we had supper, we would go into the, to the room and there was the Christmas tree. My daddy had this red vest. He would put on this red vest and then he would hand out the presents. And so I, I, I do remember that. I also remember that I, I trusted Christ when I went off to college. And, and so you know, most of you know that I never went to church but two times in my life. And the only Christmas story I ever heard was when we did it at school, when I was in elementary school. And so when I trusted Christ as Savior and then I began to understand the Bible, I can still remember coming home. The first Christmas, I came home as a Christian and I said, hey, by the way, the wise men were not there that night at the birth. You know, I, I had never heard that before, but every, everything has all these wise men there, and I came in and told my mom and them, I said, you need to move that away. They're not there that night, you know, and, and that was pretty neat. I still can remember that I thought a manger I thought a manger was the little hut-looking place, you know, because they said that's a manger scene. But what I realized is the manger is the feed trough. I didn't know that. And so I learned a lot of things after I started growing as a Christian and started reading the Bible and, and so many great things. Um, when, when we think about... Uh, the Bible, when we think about the birth of Christ, there's so many things. Sometimes at Christmas, the focus is on gifts or the focus is on on just getting around doing things and seeing everything. The real reason for Christmas, we know, is the birth of our Savior. It's it, the birth of Jesus Christ. And that that is the gift that God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. And... <clears throat> It is the coming into the world of the Messiah. So when we think about the baby being born, it's not just a baby being born. It is the Son of God who is the Savior of the world. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to do something a little bit unusual. It kind of works out amazing. We're going to see four before the birth and four after the birth. So this Sunday, we're looking at four different people before the birth of Christ. And of course, by the time we come next Sunday, it'll be after the birth of Christ. And so we're going to look at four people after the birth of Christ. And here's what we're going to do. This week, we're going to look at Two different groups. We're going to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's an older couple. And we're going to look at Mary and Joseph, a younger couple. This is the four before the birth of Jesus Christ. And we'll see some great things next time. But here's what we're going to do. Now, here's this is what we're going to do. Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're going to look at what was God's message to them? Because God sent an angel and told them something. And then we're going to see their response to the message, okay? Then we're going to look at Mary and Joseph, and we're going to see what was God's message to them, We're going to see their response. But I put something in here called cost involved. And we'll talk about what was involved there and what do we mean by that. Well, when you think about the time, what what it was like at the birth of Christ, I found an article in Decision Magazine, a guy by the name of Sherwood Wirt. He wrote this, and I think it's pretty good. He wrote what the world was like when Jesus was born. So listen to this. Listen to this. It sounds a lot like what's going on now. It says this. The people at that time were heavily taxed. There was the threat of world domination by a cruel and power-hungry nation ruled by ungodly men. There was corruption in the upper levels of society and government. The government was using handouts to keep the population from rising up and throwing out all the leaders. Interest rates were rising. There was racial tensions at breaking point. In such a time, a child was born to a young couple who had just signed up for a fresh round of taxes. The child would be called Emmanuel. God with us. That's well, a great little article. And, and, and we think about what was it like when Jesus was born? Well, let's start and let's see, let's see the four people before the birth of Christ. And we'll start with the two older ones, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And so if you have your Bible in Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start with verse 5. And let's get a little background on who these people are. Notice Luke chapter 1 verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias, of the divisions of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we meet this couple, and it says in the days of Herod the king of Judea. If you remember who Herod was, Herod called himself Herod the Great. He was a amazing person. He he built Masada. He helped build the temple. It took 46, 47 years to build the temple. He built all kinds of things, but he was an evil man. He is the man that killed all the boy babies the night you know at two years old, at two years old and under. He's he was an evil Man. It says, at this time, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest. His name was Zacharias. He was of the division of Abijah. Well, what are we talking about? When David was when we're studying 2 Samuel, we're seeing King David. When David was the king, he took the priesthood and he divided them into 24 sections. So a priest would serve about a month at a time. And then another group would come in, another group would come in. So as a priest, you might serve about once every two years, actually going to the temple. Now, they were priests, but you had to go to the temple. You had to help with the sacrifice. You had to do everything. So he, he is one of the, he's one of the divisions of Abijah. And just so happens, we're going to see that it's his turn to serve. It goes on to say he had a wife of the daughters of Aaron, which means his wife was also from the tribe of Levi. So they're there. Now, we're going to find out that they're older people and they wanted to have children, they'd been praying for a long time to have a son. Notice it goes on to say in verse 6, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. What in the world does that mean? Well, what we mean, that that means they were believers. When it says they were righteous in the sight of God, righteousness comes by faith. That means they had believed that there was a Messiah coming, that there was a Savior coming, and they had believed that this Savior would be the one to save them. So they, they are righteous in that sense. It goes on to say, and they were blameless and all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That doesn't mean they kept the law perfectly because nobody could keep the Mosaic law, the 613 commandments. Nobody could keep that. But what it meant is that when they broke something or when they failed to do something right, they offered the sacrifice or did the things they were supposed to do. So they were called blameless in the commandments. So we've got this people now. Notice verse seven says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. We're going to find that they're older now. They don't have any children. They've never had children. They've wanted children. They've been praying for years for a son. They wanted a son. And so this is where we are. We'll see in just a minute uh, how we know that. But so it goes on to say, now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, it was his time to be there. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And let me remind you what happened. So his time is to come. They're going to serve, and then they won't serve for almost two years. That's just the way it is. So a priest didn't get to serve that much. And then when they were there, they had all kinds of things to do. But there was the front part of the temple, and certain priests only certain priests could go in there. And when you went in the front room, on this side was a lampstand that they kept burning. On this side was a table that had 12 loaves of bread and in the back was a curtain and in front of that curtain was an altar that had incense on it. Priests were chosen to go in there and keep the candlestick burning to do something with the incense or change the bread out once a week. It just so happens, notice what it says, it happened that while he was, this is verse eight again, that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the order of his division... According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. He got lucky, so to speak. It's not really luck. God's in control. But they cast lots and they said, guess what, Zacharias? You get to go in, into the room, which sometimes priests never went in their whole lives. They never got to go. He gets to go in and burn the incense so this is a big day for him. This is probably the biggest day of his life because he may never he may never get chosen again to go in there again. In fact, he's older. It, it, it may be two more years before he even gets to serve again and whether he'll ever get to go in there again or not, who knows? So it says he gets to do that. Notice it says, and the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the, at the hour of the incense offering. There were two sacrifices of the day. There were one called the morning sacrifice at 9 o'clock in the morning, and there was the evening sacrifice that was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Most likely this is the evening sacrifice because all the people are gathered. More people came in the evening than they did in the morning. So the people are all out there. It says a whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. He's gone in to burn the incense. So this is really special, but something happens when he goes in there, something he did not expect. Verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. Now, he goes in there. And if you remember, lampstand over here, table over here, another table right here that has, the altar, that has the incense on it. And when he went in, suddenly an angel appears. Angels are very powerful beings. We've talked about that. Angels sometimes can give some kind of appearance. We know that they're spirit beings. They're angels in this room. They're probably both good angels and bad angels in this room. We can't see them. There's a spiritual warfare going on. Well, this angel appeared, and they're such powerful beings that almost every time in the scripture, when you see an angel appears, people are afraid. And so it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him because he's afraid. I mean, this is an angel. This is a powerful being and he wasn't expecting that. And suddenly there's this being there. And look what happens because the angel is coming and going to give a message to Zacharias. Look what it says. First of all, <clears throat> but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your petition has been heard. What petition? What have they been praying for? They've been praying for a son. Notice, your petition has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. So he says, stop being afraid. Your prayers are going to be answered. You're going to have a son. His son is, named, is going to be named John. So he tells him ahead of time what you're going to name your boy is John. Well, what will this son be? What will this son do? What will this son be? Well, what's he going to be? Notice it goes on to say in verse 15. For, uh, he says, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, wow, that's amazing. He's going to be great. And he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Now, what in the world does that mean? He's going to be what they call a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a person that took a vow. You could be you could be anybody's age you wanted to be, and you could take a vow, and you could take it for 30 days or 60 days or whatever time you wanted to take it. And during that time that you're a Nazarite, you did not cut your hair, you did not drink anything with grapes or wine or anything, and you could not touch a dead body. It says that this boy is going to be a Nazarite from his birth. That means this boy, John... We call him John the Baptist. He's going to come and he's never going to cut his hair and he's never going to drink wine or anything and he's never going to touch a dead body. That's what he's supposed to be like. And you say, gosh, that that happened very often. Well, Samuel and Samson both were Nazarites from birth. So they never cut their hair. That's when when people saw John the Baptist and they said, he's a weird guy. He's out there. He's got long hair everywhere. He's, 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 got, he's eating locusts and wild honey. And I mean, he's just, he's like, a, it looked crazy. People thought he was crazy because of what he looked like. But he's going to be born and he's going to be a Nazarite. That's what he's going to be. And then what will he do? What will this son do? Well, look what it says. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord, their God. It is he who will be a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's gonna turn the nation back to God and he's gonna go before the Messiah. He's gonna make the way ready. This is the one Isaiah talked about that said, there's a voice crying in the wilderness Is going to go before the Messiah and announce that he's coming and tell everybody, get ready, the Messiah's coming. This boy is going to be the one to go before the Messiah. Now, if you're Zacharias, you're going, what? I'm old. She's old. Is this angel? Is this for real? Am I going to have a son who will be the forerunner of the Messiah? So what is Zachariah's response? How does he respond? At first, he doesn't believe it. Look what happens. Verse 18, Zachariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, he's actually, he's actually sort of saying, I don't know if I could believe you or not. How do I know this? I'm really old, and she's really old, and you, you think we're going to have a baby? Well, if you're, listen, if you're, if you're Gabriel... You don't want to say, "Do you know who I am? I am the messenger of God. I stand in the presence of God. I've come to give you a message, and you don't believe me." Look what I, look what he goes on to say. The angel answered and said to him, verse nineteen, "I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news." He's basically saying, "I'm giving you good news, and you're not even believing it. You're not even believing it." He he, he did first. He didn't believe because he said, "I'm too old. I'm too old." He said, "No, no. I'm Gabriel." And then look at verse 20. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because, why? Because you did not believe my words which were fulfilled in their proper time. You know what he said to him? Because you hadn't believed me? You won't be able to talk till all this comes to pass. And all of a sudden John went, I mean, uh, Zacharias went. (laughs) He couldn't talk. And he came out, it says he came out and the people all gathered around him and he couldn't talk and they knew that he had seen some kind of sign. And it's going to be all the way till the baby is born before he can talk. So it's going to be at least nine months before he can say anything. So the second part is he did believe. You know how we know? Well, he went home and told his wife. He did. He went home and told his wife, Elizabeth. He said, and apparently he had to write this down, but he said, you're going to become pregnant. And, and, and you're going to have a baby, and we're going to call the baby John. And and, and 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 that's what he told her. And then the statements at the birth of John, when the baby was born, he said things like, you're the, he said about his son, you're the one that's going before the Messiah. You're going to tell us all about salvation. You're the one that does it. So he does, he says all the right things. So at first, he didn't believe, and then he did. So here's what we see about Zacharias. Zacharias got a message. Your son... Will be the forerunner of the Messiah. His response at first was to doubt, then believed, told his wife and others, the Messiah is coming and that his son would be the forerunner. Now, that's pretty incredible. So I want you to think about it. What if you were that man and you spent your whole life as a priest doing what you're supposed to do, starting at age 30? And, and now you're, you're probably getting toward the end. They didn't really retire. They quit having to get to go and to, to do all the stuff, but they had to always be ready. And so you're older, and you get that one special day that you get to go do the incense, and an angel says, your prayers are answered. You've been praying for a son. You're going to have a son. His name is John. He will go before the Messiah. At first he didn't believe, and now he believes, and he's told. Well, what about Elizabeth? What's going to be with her? She's older. Well, we're going to see that her message was the same as, her, as to the husband. Hey, they would have a son. His name would be John, who would go before the Lord. And what was her response to this? She believes. She believed, and, and she realized that. First of all, she realized that she was pregnant from God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 24, you don't have to listen, you just listen. It says, and these days, Elizabeth, after these days of his life, Elizabeth became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in these days, when he has looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace. See, he, God he says, God, let me get pregnant. See, this disgrace, in that day and time, for a woman not to have a child, was sort of really sad. They would say, so sad. You don't have a baby. You've never had a baby. Now she says, God has shown me favor. He's going to let me have a son. And when the baby is born, they're going to call him John. Now let me tell you what happens. When the baby is born, Now nine months later, the baby is born. They take the baby in to name him and to do all the things you're supposed to do. And they walk in and they pick, come over to her and they say, what do you want to name the boy? You want to name him Zachariah after his father. Zacharias, don't you? And she said, no, no, his name is John. And they say, no, nobody but in your family's name is John. We're going to have to go ask Zacharias." So they go to Zacharias and they say, "Zacharias, what do you want to name the boy? And he can't talk, of course. So they get something for him to write and he writes and says, his name is John. John, and when he does, he can talk, and he begins to proclaim the great message of this boy and the Messiah to come. So, Zacharias and Elizabeth believed the message, and she believed that the baby that was born was the Messiah, and that she was pregnant from God, and that they called him John. And so, Elizabeth said, "I, I, I would have, she would have a son who would go before the Lord, and she believed it was from God, and she told others. So that. That's the older couple. And, and can you imagine what it would be like for him to come back and she'd say, what's going on? And he goes, can't talk. Can't talk. God gave me a message. We're having a baby. You're going to have a baby. His name will be John. He will be the, go before the Messiah. You could see her go, what are you talking about? You know, And yet they believed it and they were waiting for the baby to come. And we already see that she's five months along in verse 24. uh, After these days, the wife became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. Remember that term, five months, okay? Well, now from there, let's meet the younger couple. And they are Mary and Joseph. And they're going to get a message from God. And we're going to see how they respond. And we're going to see, let's add something to this. There's a cost involved. Let's start with Mary and look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, and we stop right there because most people have read that all their lives, and they just say, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, and if you stopped and asked him and you said, sixth month of what? And they go, I don't know. Well, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. See, see, John the Baptist is going to be six months older than Jesus. And so, in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so we find out that there's this young girl, and let's just face it, how old was she? You know, she could have been as young as 14. She could have been as old as 19 or 20. That would be old, by the way. And Joseph could be as young as 18. He could be as old as 22 or 23. And, and, and see, at that day and time, they married so much younger. By the way, I looked up some statistics. In the 1950s, the average age of a man getting married was 21 and for a woman it was 18 to 19 do you know what the average age is today i looked this up the average age today for a man getting married is 31 and the average age for a woman is 28 at joseph and mary's time 15 16 18 19 so it was so when we think of mary and we think of a young girl she was a young girl she was amazing. Watch this. It, to a girl, this angel came to this virgin who was engaged to a man. whose name was Joseph. They're engaged. Now, in that day and time, you get engaged, and you're good as married because there's a, there's a covenant already made. And if you did not want to get married after that, you had to get divorced. You had to go through a divorce to break it off. Even though you weren't married yet, and even though you'd never come together, you were engaged to be married and had to be a divorce to separate it. So she's engaged to this man named Joseph who was the descendants of David. He's a descendant of King David and the virgin's name was Mary. And this angel came in and said to her, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. Now that's pretty powerful. Now remember angels are pretty what? They're pretty wild and they're powerful and and can you imagine this young 16 year old girl an angel appearing out of nowhere and said, hello, you found favor with God. Well, it says she, she was very perplexed at this statement and she kept wondering what kind of salutation this was. She thought, who is this? What's going on? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. See, everybody's afraid when the angels come. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God, she's found favor with God what, well, what, what is this, what is he telling her look at verse 31, behold you will conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son, you'll name him Jesus, you're going to have a son named Jesus the name Jesus was a common name the Old Testament name of Yeshua, Joshua, if you have a name Joshua, you got the same name Jesus Yeshua, Joshua is the Old Testament and so Jesus is sort of a Greekish type name, you shall name him Jesus you're going to have a son And then she could say, well, you know, after Joseph and I get married and probably a little bit down the line, yeah, that's a big deal. No, no. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That means the Son of God. You're going to have a son. He's going to be called the Son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He's going to become the king of Israel. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will no end. She now realizes that this angel is telling her, you're going to have a baby right now. You're going to have a baby, and his name will be Jesus, and he'll take the throne of his father David. He's going to take the throne of his father David. That means he's going to be the king of Israel. He'll reign over the house of Israel, Jacob, and his kingdom will have no end. Can't be just regular old guy. For his kingdom not to have an end, he's got to be the Messiah. She is saying, you're telling me I'm going to have a baby, and the baby is the Messiah, the Savior of the world? The one that everybody's talked about, the one that everybody looks forward to, the one that was promised back in Genesis and back to Abraham and back to King David and all the way through. We've been waiting for this Messiah to come. You're telling me that I'm going to have the baby. That's exactly right. But what did she do? Well, here's what she says Well, I'm not sure. How does this work? Because I'm a virgin. And see, what she didn't, she's not doubting. She's not like Zacharias who says, How do I know this is true? She says, I got it, but how is that going to work? Because I'm a virgin. How's that going to work? Notice the verse. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? As verse 34. Verse 35 says, the angel said, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The Son of God. She's going to have the Son of God. She will have a son. And the son is the son of God, the Messiah. What is her response? She believed the message. She said in verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, the bond servant of the Lord. May it be done according to your word. And the angel departed. Now, she had a message. You're going to have a son. He's the Messiah. She believed the message. There's a cost involved. And I'm going to give it to you quickly just because of time. She had to face her husband. Listen, here's what's going to happen. As soon as she gets this word, she leaves, she goes down to the southern part of Israel to meet with her relative, whose name is Elizabeth, who's already six months pregnant. She gets down there, she stays down there till John the Baptist is born. Then she comes back. When she comes back, she's been gone for three months. And when she sees Joseph, she's three months pregnant, and she says, Joseph, I've got some news for us. And he went, where have you been? She said, well, I went down to visit Elizabeth. That's not the message. God has told me through an angel that we're gonna, I'm pregnant, and I'm pregnant with the, from the Holy Spirit, and the baby is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so I'm going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And you're going to be like the daddy. Except you're not really the daddy, but anyway, you're going to be right there. And he goes, where have you been for the last three months? You, you think I'm going to believe this story? That you have disappeared for three months and you come back pregnant and you tell me it's the Holy Spirit that made you pregnant and you're gonna have the Messiah. So she faced that stigma. You know what the other stigma was? That people would look at her and they would say, We know you're pregnant and we know you're not married. You know, in our culture today, people don't care about that at all, which is wrong. But in that culture, they cared. In fact, under the Mosaic law, you could be stoned. If you had sexual relations outside marriage and you weren't married, she's got this stigma. And it's going to cost her. So, with that in mind, let's talk about Joseph. And to find out Joseph, we have to go, and I'm just going to read to you from Matthew chapter 1. And here's what we find. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she is found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, that's what we know. Before they came together, before they got really married and everything, she's pregnant with the, with the, Holy, from the Holy Spirit, uh, with, with the Messiah. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not planning to disgrace her, but he planned to put her away secretly. Listen, under the Mosaic law, you could do three things. If the one you were engaged to or married to had sexual relations outside of marriage, you could have them stoned and put to death. Or you could publicly divorce them and embarrass them publicly. Or his plan, because he loves her, he wants to put her away privately, that no one would know what has happened. That's his plan. That's what he wants to do. But look at verse 20. When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This angel came and told her. And then he goes on to say, she'll bear a son. You'll call him Jesus. He will save his people from his sins. He goes on and says, this is what fulfills the scripture. Verse 23, the virgin will be with a child and bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He says, that's what the scripture said in Isaiah. She's the one that is the virgin that's going to have the baby. You're... Wife to be the one you're engaged to, the one you're connected with, she's going to have. Don't be afraid to marry her because the baby is really from God. With this response, he believed the message. Look at verse 24. And Joseph awoke from the dream, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife, kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to the son, and called his name Jesus. He did exactly what he's supposed to do. Now, so he got a message. He believed the message, but there's a cost involved. He did not know his wife sexually until the birth of the Messiah, until the birth of Jesus Christ, because he said, we don't want to give anybody any impression that I have any part in this, because this is from the Holy Spirit, this is from God. The second thing, he faced the stigma, that there were people who would say to him, "Uh, y'all not married, are you? Isn't she going to have a baby? That's bad. You know that's bad. He had that stigma. You know, that stigma went on for a long time. You remember when Jesus had his ministry at over age 30, 30 years from now? They made fun of Jesus one time and said, hey, at least we weren't born in sin. And they were pointing at him. And they were saying, you were born in sin, Jesus. Your mother was pregnant before you were ever married and before she was ever married. That stigma lasted. And he also had to protect the child. Protect the child. Do you remember the word came to him? And I won't read the verses, but it came while Joseph was in a, had a dream and said, you better get up, get out of town, get to Egypt, because somebody's going to try to, Herod's going to try to kill the baby. And he left, and he was gone for over two years. And, they, and that's when Herod killed all the boy babies two years old and under. And then he brought him back. So Joseph had to protect the child. There was a cost involved. So we look at Mary and Joseph. The message is, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the Messiah. Their response was, They believed. And there was a cost involved. See, a lot of times you don't think about the stigma. Well, let me throw one thing out. Do you remember when Jesus did his first miracle? Anybody know what his first miracle was? What was his first miracle? It was changing the water to wine at Cana of Galilee. Do you remember? That it, Mary, this was connected with Mary, his mother. And because Mary was invited to the wedding, Jesus and his men were invited to the wedding. And when they were there, what happened? They ran out of wine. Who went to Jesus and said, Do something? Mary did. She said, They ran out of wine. And he said, Literally Greek, What's to me and to you? What does that have to do with me? She wants him to do a miracle. You know why? Because all of her life she has told people, I didn't get pregnant. I, I, it was from the Holy Spirit and Jesus is God. And nobody believes her. And she wants him to do a miracle. So people will believe that he's really the Messiah and that she's telling the truth. What a cost. You got a message. He's the son. They believed there's a cost. Let me give us quickly just cause of time. Let, let's understand. We have a message from God given to us. You know what the message is? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would never perish but have everlasting life. That at Christmas time, when we think about the birth of the baby, that baby is the Messiah. That baby is the Savior of the world. That baby is the one who dies on the cross to pay for sin and rise again. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the Savior. So our response is let us believe the message and tell others. And so here's my question. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to the earth and I was born as a baby, grew up, went, went to the cross, died on the cross to pay for our sins, and rose again to conquer death. And he's offering to you a gift, the gift of eternal life. Do you believe that? If you believe that you have eternal life, Jesus Christ is offering to you a gift, the gift of eternal life simply by faith. And if you believe that, you have eternal life, and you have eternal life at this exact moment. Wow. We are to tell others. This is the great time because, you know, this is Christmas, and you can say, hey, do you know, really know why the baby was born? And a lot of people don't know. And sometimes they'll say things like, well, you know, to save us. And you go, what does that mean? What do you mean, save us? Ask them what it means. They don't know. We get to tell others about the Messiah, the Savior. Finally, just realize that obeying God is costly. Because for us to say, I, I, be, I believe in Christ and I have eternal life. Now, what do we do as a Christian? This cost us to live for him. He says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. We're to live for Christ. Now, this has nothing to do with our salvation. This is because we are saved. As one who has eternal life, we're to say, listen, I want my life to count for you, Lord, not for me. I give you my life. I want to serve you. I'll go wherever you want me to go. The second thing is, be remember, we're going to be hated by the world. We already see it now. When you say... I believe Jesus Christ is God, that he is the only way to God, he is the way, the truth, and the life, that the baby born in Bethlehem is the savior of the world and whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. I believe that's true. You're going to be hated by some people. You're going to be hated by many religious people because they don't believe that. When you stand for the truth of Jesus Christ, there's a cost involved. May we do that. As we've been given the message of Christ the Savior. Let's faithfully proclaim Christ to others, knowing that there is a cost involved when we stand for Christ in a fallen world.